Let me say what a joy it's been these few weeks to be with you. It's great to be part of the body of Christ in different parts of the world, and uh, mercy in forest has been a great joy for my wife Kim and I already. We have a problem this morning, that is there's way too much in this text to properly consider. But turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2. We will look at these verses. We obviously can't cover everything that Peter is attempting to teach us, but let's uh, pray that God would open His Word to us. Father, we do pray that You would take Your Word read and preached, apply it to the hearts of Your children, convict sinners of their need to come to Christ, and lead us all, Lord, back before Your face. For we are prone to wander, Lord. We need to understand more clearly who You are, and who we are in Christ Jesus. So bless us with understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the written word of our Lord. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. My question for you this morning is, who are you? And you could answer that in a variety of ways. You could say, maybe today, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a child. I work here or there, I live in the state of Virginia, I happen to be pursuing this degree. All manner of answers can be given to the question, who are you? 
And identity is something that's very important in our culture today. People are trying to figure out who they are. And to do that, they usually look inside themselves and speak out of their own experience or understanding of who they are. What Peter's trying to do in this passage is to teach us something differently, a different perspective on the answer to the question, who am I? He's telling us and telling his readers Who you are is grounded mostly in your identity in Jesus Christ. And so instead of starting, who am I with myself, I start with, who is Christ and who am I in Him? What does it mean to belong to Jesus Christ? In short, what does it mean to be a Christian? So that's our focus today. And again, there's, there's just too much here. Peter is throwing terms quickly at us each one which could engage us for a long time. But we'll try to bring some order to this uh, lengthy passage here. So there's three questions that Peter's answering. Uh, The first obvious one, who am I? But secondly, what is happening to you? It's grounded in because of who you are, what is God doing in your life? Let's say it that way. And where are you going? Where are you headed? What's the goal of the Christian life? So, First, very simply, who am I? But as I said, we don't start with ourselves. We have to start with Jesus Christ because the Christian, by definition, is in Christ. It's one of the Apostle Paul's favorite terms to describe the Christian. We're in Christ. And some of the images that Jesus gave us, you know, the vine in the branch and the branch in the vine united together, those sorts of pictures help us understand it. So who is Jesus Christ is really undergirding all that Peter is saying in this passage. And we know from other texts, we don't have to turn to them this morning, but Jesus is the Son of God who became man and came to earth not only to live a righteous life so we would see it, but to live a righteous life so that He would righteously die in the place of sinners. And having died for sinners, the mercy that is rightly ours because of His grace, is bestowed upon us, and we become His. He purchases us with His own precious blood. He buys us out of sin and death and captivity to that and makes us His own. And all who trust Christ in faith receive not only His righteousness, but the forgiveness of their sins. That's the gospel. That's who Jesus is and what He came to do. And you see Peter using terminology in this passage to describe that process when he refers to Jesus as a stone, a a cornerstone, the very foundation of our faith. And everything that he says in this passage, which answers the question, who am I, is focused back on that one cornerstone of the building, which is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And so who we are is built on that foundation. You all know the importance of a good foundation. You hope your building committee is laboring hard to make sure that a good foundation is laid for your new church building. Well, our foundation is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2. He says, Christ is the cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets are the foundation, and the church is built on that. And so, We are individually stones of that building, and yet Christ is still the foundation, the key foundation, the cornerstone. 
So we have to move beyond that because we're trying to answer the question then who we are, but it's grounded in Christ, and that's important. Now let me tell you four things that Peter says here about who we are. And if we look at verse 9, we'll see his uh, list there. He says, you are a chosen race. Other translations say a chosen generation. That's a people. You'll notice that all of the terms here in verse 9 are collective. They're plural. Our tendency as Americans and those who speak English, we, we look at the word you and we think me. But this is plural. He's saying you, Southerners, y'all. He's not just speaking to you directly. He is, but he's speaking to us. It's a plural. So you are what? First and foremost, a chosen race, a people. Now notice back in verse 4, he describes Jesus Christ as chosen as well. He is the one God chose to come and to be our Savior. He is the living stone, chosen and precious, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, he says he is the cornerstone, chosen and precious. God the Father sent the Son. He chose Him to come and to redeem His people. And in like manner, He has chosen you and you and you and you to be His body. Some people don't like the concept that we are chosen. You ask some believers, and how did you become a Christian? I chose to follow Jesus. That's great. That's wonderful. But we know, according to the Scriptures, that the only reason you chose to follow Jesus is because before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ chose you. He made you His own. And that's reiterated here. You're a chosen race. God has chosen you to be His people. And this is not just in the New Testament. And it's not just Peter. Uh, Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. You can go all the way back to the book, books of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7.6, we read it this morning, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure among all the peoples of the earth. That's God calling His people Israel out. Chosen people. Here's another one, Isaiah 43. I give drink to my people, my chosen, the waters of the wilderness and the rivers in the desert. These people are mine. I have formed them for myself. God's people are a chosen people. Now, the difficulty is that we don't know who that is. I look out among you. I don't know most of you. I have no idea who among you are really, truly Christians. And that's not the question that Peter's addressing here. He's saying that God's people, the church, are a chosen people. Who those particularly are is unknown to us, but they're known to God. The Bible talks about uh, your names are written on His hands. You are the apple of His eye. Uh, God knows you by name. You are a chosen people. That's the emphasis here. Now, who they are, we can't identify. We can't look at your DNA and see whether or not you're part of the group. In fact, as you go out among the peoples of the world, you will not be able to identify those whom the Lord has called, who has chosen, who are His. Now, sometimes you meet someone and immediately you know they're a believer, they're a brother or a sister in the Lord. 
but we can't tell by looking at people. But the point Peter is making here is you need to understand this about yourselves, that God has chosen you and called you out of the nations, and He's made you His own. Now, let me ask you, do you think of yourself that way? Again, you may be thinking, well, I, I'm a Christian because I chose God. Well, that's true, but only because He called you to Himself and enlivened your heart by His Spirit and brought you from death to life and opened your eyes and gave you a heart to believe. But think of yourself that way then. You are chosen of God. And again, this is a plural. I am part of a chosen group of people is how we think of ourselves. That's the first answer to the question, who am I? But Peter goes on still in verse 9. He says that you are, we are, a royal priesthood. Now, there's two concepts here, royalty and priesthood. When I was in seminary, we used to joke, say, the perfect job would be to become the chaplain of royalty. You know, Sunday morning, give a brief little devotional and be available the rest of the week and hang out and read good books and maybe develop a collection of shoehorns or something. I don't know. It seems like an easy life to be a royal priest. That's not what Peter's talking about. Royalty, of course, refers to Christ, the king. Priesthood refers to access. If you think of Old Testament characters, the prophets spoke from God to the people the priests offered sacrifices on behalf of the people to God because the priest had access into the Holy of Holies or into the temple courts, and he stood for the people before God. He had access. So Peter's saying that who you are is this. You are a royal priest. You have access to the king. Let that weigh heavily upon you in a wonderful way. You feel the weight of that. You, as the people of God, chosen by God out of all the peoples of the earth, have access to the King of kings, corporately and individually. We're in His presence right now as a body of Christ in this place, along with all the believers all over the earth who are worshiping the King today. And then privately, individually, when you go home in your closet, in your, in your kitchen, You have access to the king. That's who you are. You're not a nobody. You're a royal priest. What a privilege Christ has given you. The third thing that he says about who you are is is also profound. You're a holy nation. Again, it's plural. You're a nation, not just an individual. Back in Exodus chapter 19 is... God is calling His people out of Egypt and to Himself, and He is about to give them the law. He says this, If you will obey My voice and keep My covenant, then you shall be to Me a special treasure above all the peoples, for the earth is Mine, and you shall be for Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holy's primary meaning is that you've been set apart. Nation means a people with common laws, common culture, common heritage, a a common king. And so the people of God have this aspect to remind them who they are. They're holy, set apart, and they're a nation, they're a people. 
too many Christians live individualistically. It's particularly a problem in America. We're an individualistically-minded culture. I work in West Africa. I go back and forth. The West African people think collectively. The first time I taught a course there, I asked a question, as teachers are wont to do, and I expected the hands to go up, and instead the, the 15 men in my little class all gathered together and discussed my question and the answer. When they reached a consensus, they gave the answer. That would be absurd in an American culture. We all want to be the one who knows the answer, but a collective mentality is right when we consider who we are as the church of Jesus Christ. We're a nation. We're a people. Churches work together. We decide things together. We labor together. We're not just a bunch of individuals. We're a holy, set-apart nation. Fourthly, His own special people. I want to emphasize the word own. It has more than one meaning in our language. That means we belong to Him, and, and that we, we can also uh, add that meaning to say that we actually possess it. Something that belongs to me is my own, and I own it. That's what we are, and that's a good thing. Being a Christian is something that God has done on your behalf, has made you His own, and you belong to Him. You're His precious possession. It's not a negative at all that you belong to Jesus. It's not in the sense that you're in captivity and bondage with a negative. It's a bondage of grace. He has brought you to Himself. He has made you His own. You're His holy people, a holy nation. He owns you, possesses you, and, and all that comes with that, the application meaning that you must follow Jesus. But that's good. It's not a burden. Again, we don't have time to plumb the depths of these terms, but just put them all together. You belong to Jesus, and these things are true of you. And that's the primary answer to who you are when someone says, who are you? I belong to Jesus. Just take them to verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2. That's who you are. And all the implications that come out of that are wonderful as you consider them for your Christian life. But let's go to the second category. If who you are is because God in Christ has done something for you and to you and unto you, then the second category is what is happening to you now in the present. But the present, of course, spills back into the past and into the future. So what's happening to you? Well, look back at verse 5. In verse 5, Peter reminds us that we are being built. It's a process. This is wonderful, just having had the announcement about your new building. It's being built even though nothing yet has happened physically for the eye to see. All the permits, all the construction, behind-the-scenes work, you're waiting for the shovels in the ground. And then you'll be waiting as they slowly build the building. And whatever your building chairman tells you is the timing, don't believe it. Don't believe it. The process takes a long time, and there's thousands of moving parts. Now, apply that to yourself. Peter says, you are being built by God. It's a process of grace. And hopefully, you understand that to mean that you're being built up, growing. 
You tear down, you build up. You're growing in Christ, you're maturing. The language we use is called sanctification. And the promise is that God will sanctify you. He doesn't just bring you to Himself. He doesn't just make you His own. He doesn't just set you apart. He will make you like Jesus. That's the process. That's the goal. Peter doesn't tell us all that here, but we know that from the rest of Scriptures. He makes you holy. He will change the way you think, the things you love. It's gradual. It seemingly takes forever. And like buildings, sometimes you have to tear down in order to keep building. That's the process. But it's all grounded in this. You belong to Jesus. And so His desire for you is to make you like Himself, or, or if you want, to make you like Adam was before the fall, to perfect in you what it means to be human made in the image of God. That's part of who you are. You're a work in progress. But that work is guaranteed because Jesus Christ has said He will do it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, there's another term here we could have spent a whole Sunday on, and maybe we should. It's the key to your church life. It's on the front of your bulletin. It's there about mercy. If you look at the front of your bulletin, Scott read it for us again this morning, it's about mercy. It's the name of the church. Now, I don't know why you chose that as your name or your key verse. doesn't matter. But it says in the second half of 1 Peter 2.10, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, Peter is using terminology there that talks about before, once you had not received mercy, present, now you have. But I want to remind you that that process of receiving mercy is not just once and for all. It's a continuing, a continuing work of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us draw near the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You keep going back to the throne of grace. You keep looking to the Lord because He continues to pour out upon you abundant grace, abundant mercy. It's ongoing. It keeps flowing. We live near Claytor Lake, which is a dammed, the new river, and uh, during times of high energy need, uh, like last week with the air conditioning needs and the high heat, they, they announced that the flow through the dam, through the turbines to generate electricity would be increased and so if you were downstream of the dam, you should expect increased water levels. And so I drove by Claytor Lake, and I tried to see if you could see the increased flow. It's hard to tell, but it's there nonetheless. That's the mercy of Jesus Christ for His church. There is a constant increased flow. It's hard to tell at times, but it's there. It's not just that once you received mercy, it is that Jesus Christ and His great work in your life, part of who you are, is to give you mercy after mercy. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. The mercy is flowing. You can't abate it. You can't stop it. It just keeps coming, even if you don't see it. 
Peter is reminding the church that God is a merciful God. It's his nature, and therefore to his chosen people, he will constantly be pouring out floods of unstoppable mercy. That's a wonderful name you have as a church. Let that be a reminder to you every day. I belong to Mercy Presbyterian Church, and therefore I remember that I am a recipient of daily mercy even when I'm blind to it. How often in the midst of struggles do you forget that God is a merciful God, that all that He does in your life is for your good, that there is grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy? Peter reminds his people that once you were in a category where you hadn't received mercy, but now you have, and therefore you are in the flow of mercy. That's what God is doing to you in the present. He's building you up. He's pouring out mercy. And that's part of the answer to what is happening to you now. But let's move on to the final category. Where are we heading? What's becoming of us? What's the goal? Well, again, back to verse 5. The idea of being built, but into what? A spiritual house. A spiritual house. Paul says to the Ephesians, You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints, members of a household, a household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in which the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God by His Spirit. You get the idea. You're building up into a house. And there is one house, and Christ is the cornerstone. We've covered this. But that means that if you and I are individual stones in one house, we're not only connected to the cornerstone built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, obviously we're connected to each other. When I was young, somebody gave me a set of plastic building bricks. They weren't Legos. We were too poor. And I took the bricks, and I thought, well, I can build a house, and I stacked them all in columns. You know what happened. They fell over very easily. And then someone showed me the proper way to build the bricks was to overlap them one with another, and that's how they build with bricks or stones. Well, so the church of Jesus Christ. You are not being built into the house of the Lord Jesus Christ just as individual unconnected stones. The very nature of the church is that Christ has called us together to overlap one another, to be joined together with the love of Christ being the mortar that bonds us together. And part of then the answer of who you are is what He is doing. He's building us up and even closer together as the body of Christ. You can't be a Lone Ranger Christian. You can't think that I'm in this just for myself. You can't just think that I'm all by myself and no one cares about me because the purpose of the church is to put us together, to knit us, to bond us together in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of building that God is making. And again, he mentions that we are a holy priesthood in verse 5. We've covered priesthood, not royal in this case, but holy. Again, set apart. He's joining those two terms together. And the final purpose is this, verse 5, to offer spiritual sacrifices. 
And what do priests do? They offer sacrifices. In the Old Testament, they offered physical sacrifices. We don't need to do that anymore. Why? Because once and for all, Jesus Christ has offered the perfect sacrifice of Himself. And so the sacrifice that has been necessary for the forgiveness of our sins has been done in Christ on the cross. The sacrifices that we offer, Peter says, are spiritual sacrifices. The book of Hebrews helps us understand that in chapter 13. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. What we're being built into, where we're headed, is the perfection of that. But even in the here and now, such as this morning, we're gathered to offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Because of what Christ has done, because of who we are, because of how He's working in us, our sacrifice of praise is richer, fuller, more filled with understanding. You sing the songs and you know what the words mean. You read the Scriptures. You thank God for it. You're growing and maturing as you offer Him a sacrifice of praise. Paul in Romans 12 helps us with sacrifice as well. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service. Paul is telling us there that we give our whole self, not just our spirits, our souls, but our bodies to God. Why? Back to the foundation stone. Jesus Christ has you as His own, and you are built on Him. And your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. You see, all of this together builds this picture then, very simply summarized in this. Who am I? What is happening to me? And where am I heading? Is all grounded in Christ. If you want it in a phrase, it's this. I belong to Jesus. Now I belong to Jesus. I'm not my own. I offer Him everything. I am His. And that's not a negative. It's a great positive. You belong to Jesus, and, and the Lord God has made you His. Here are two very, very powerful passages. Malachi 3.17, the Lord of hosts says, They shall be mine, and on that day I will make them my jewels. Have you ever thought of yourself as a jewel of the Lord? What does the groom give to the bride? He gives her a ring. And prior to the wedding day, he probably gave her, possibly, a very valuable ring with perhaps a diamond on it. It's a jewel. It's precious. And many men sacrifice a great deal to purchase that jewel on the ring in order to say to this woman, you are my jewel. You are precious to me. I want you to be mine forever. You, brothers and sisters, are the Lord's jewel. He has made you His own. You're precious to Him. And then this verse from Zechariah, or excuse me, Zephaniah chapter 3. The Lord God in your midst, the Mighty One, has saved you. 
and he rejoices over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Picture the parents of a newborn baby. They bring the child home, they lay him or her down in the crib, and they sing a loving lullaby. They rejoice over the goodness of God to give this child to them. They rejoice over the fact that this child has been brought into the world. They rejoice for what God will do in the child, and they sing over the child with joy, tears streaming down their faces. This is the Lord over you, His precious ones, His jewels. When someone comes to you and says, who are you? Throw that verse at them. I'm a jewel of the Lord. He sings over me. They'll think you're arrogant. But it's true. Now, all of this is only true of those who have professed faith and come in repentance to Jesus Christ. Don't think for a moment that everyone can say this. But do you think about yourself in these categories? We can beat ourselves up pretty bad. We can think of ourselves as worthless, unloved, uncared for. Or we can fall into the other camp. We're arrogant. We're fools. We think we're self-made men and women. And Peter's directing our attention back to the answer to the question, who am I? He says, you are grounded, founded on the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of your hope is in Him, and all your value is in Him, and the only reason you are somebody is because He has chosen you out of all the peoples of the world, not, as Deuteronomy says, because you are more numerous or special, but simply because He loved you. And He bought you with the precious blood of His own Son, And he's in process of making you just like his son in maturity and holiness and righteousness. There will come a day, of course, when that is all complete. And you will stand with the whole gathered church of Jesus Christ in collective joy and love. And you will sing. As he sings over you, you will sing. And you will rejoice in his goodness. But that day is not here yet. So how are you going to live today, tomorrow? When difficulties come, when challenges come your way, when suffering as came to the people in Peter's day come, you have to understand who you are. And your identity is not grounded in your talents or abilities or reputation or how many degrees you have or what you've been able to accomplish or how good-looking you are or how much money you have. All of that is secondary. Who you are is who Christ has made you, and He's named you with His own name. You are a Christian, and you belong to Him, and you are His forever. And so if you come to this verse today and these passages with this understanding that I do belong to Jesus, then recognize that that has great meaning. And you need to understand these terms and others that the Scriptures give us and and to begin to recognize that your identity lies in Christ Jesus first and foremost. And if you've never come to Christ, then this is what waits for you. This is what Christ has for you. So repent of your self-centeredness. 
Repent of your sin and bow down before Christ and say, Christ, make me your own. For truly, 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 without Jesus, you and I are nothing. But in Jesus Christ, we have all things, most importantly, Him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we have such a strange view of ourselves. It's clouded by our sin. It's clouded by the difficulties of human life. And it's clouded, Lord, by our wrong thoughts of you and what salvation means. Father, help us to know that our identity is in Jesus Christ alone. May we stand on him, the rock, solid, unshakable. May we learn and yearn to be more like Jesus. And may you help us, Lord, in these things that we might reflect your glory and be able to give you sacrifices of praise. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.